want you to hit me as hard as you can. There's no longer running singular film franchise currently going on right now than the super spy action series based on the suave, but also extremely violent and rugged, British secret agent Bond, James Bond. Now, Bond began life as the main character in a series of popular spy novels by author Ian Fleming, himself a British agent in his own right, beginning with Casino Royale in 1953, which was first adapted for television in 1954 in an Americanized form for the Climax Action Anthology series starring Peter Lorre as La Chef. However, the first film adaptation of what we consider the official Bond film canon was 1962's Dr. No, starring Sean Connery as the famous super spy. The film was, for its time, a high-octane thrill ride, and a smash success at the box office catapulting Connery into superstardom and the Bond series into a full-fledged blockbuster franchise for the era, with the films getting more and more successful with each entry. For the most part, anyway. However, Connery eventually wanted out, and with his last consecutive outing as Bond, You Only Live Twice being his least successful, Eon Productions, which was headed by film producers Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Saltzman at the time, decided to appease Connery and recast the part, which was extremely controversial for the time. And unfortunately, the next Bond, Australian model-turned-actor George Lazenby, didn't make much of an impression when his film, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, made almost half the box office of the previous entry, and was derided critically at the time as well, though it has gotten a massive reappraisal since then. Connery did come back for the next film, Diamonds Are Forever, but was replaced in the next film by Roger Moore, who was the star for years on the popular action-adventure television adaptation of The Saint, and was cast as Bond in 1973's Live and Let Die, capitalizing on the blaxploitation trend of the era, and it was a huge box office success. In fact, the argument of who's the best Bond is often between Connery and Moore, though they're both wrong because the correct answer is obviously David Niven. But all good things must come to an end, and after the box office and critical failure of 1985's A View to a Kill, which even a crazed Christopher Walken performance as a Russian super soldier couldn't save, it was time for Eon Productions to recast once more. This led to them casting actor Timothy Dalton as James Bond, mostly known for stage and television at the time, as well as 1980's Flash Gordon, who had actually been approached for the role previously, even before Roger Moore. However, Timothy Dalton felt he was too young for the role at the time, only being in his mid-twenties when they were about to shoot Live and Let Die, and ultimately passed on the role. He was then approached again once Moore had retired and decided to take the role for the 1987 film The Living Daylights. And with the recent failure of A View to a Kill, Eon and the producers decided to take a different approach to the character and series and hew it closer to the grittier Fleming novels. This is why Dalton's two films were much more brutal, stripped-down affairs, as opposed to the previous bombastic Moore films, and even more so than even Connery's earlier adventures. This was also similar to the grittier action films of the era, like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, as Eon wanted to have the film appeal to the more modern sensibilities of the time. 
And it paid off. The Living Daylights outgrossed Roger Moore's previous two outings, Octopussy and A View to a Kill, and even 1989's License to Kill, also starring Dalton, did well at the box office. However, License to Kill did ultimately underperform domestically, especially compared to the runaway success of Dalton's explosive debut. But Dalton nonetheless was contracted for three pictures, so work was underway on a third film regardless. And in the book, The Lost Adventures of James Bond, author Mike Edlitz outlines the basic plot of the film, which, while the project had multiple working titles, would best be known as Property of a Lady, and would involve Dalton's Bond taking on a maniacal Chinese businessman who uses robotic devices to destroy nuclear power plants, as well as expertise in computer viruses in an attempt to get Britain out of Hong Kong, with the threat of causing World War III. There was even a treatment written by scribes Michael G. Wilson and Alphonse Ruggiero that had Bond team up with a beautiful cat burglar to take on the maniacal businessman, which perhaps was ahead of its time? So what happened anyway? Well, the first thing was the aforementioned immense box office disappointment of Dalton's License to Kill. While not a flop per se, the film was still a financial setback for Eon Studios. So, like the way they shuffled the tone after Roger Moore's underwhelming departure, the producers were again scrambling on what to do next with the franchise. And, as Edlitz's book states, there were other potential Dalton treatments as well, including an origin story starring him, decades before 2006's Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. But alas, none of that came to pass because what really killed Dalton's third Bond film was a legal dispute between United Artists, MGM and Eon Studios which lasted over four years. However, during that time, Dalton's initial contract had lapsed, and when re-entering negotiations, Dalton decided to pass, stating, I was supposed to make one more, but it was cancelled because MGM and the film's producers got into a lawsuit which lasted for five years. After that, I didn't want to do it anymore. Afterward, Pierce Brosnan, who had previously been approached about the role for Living Daylights but couldn't take it due to his commitment to the television series Remington Steel, was finally cast as James Bond in the 1995 smash hit GoldenEye, which was directed by Martin Campbell, who would actually go on to direct the aforementioned James Bond origin story Casino Royale a little over a decade later. But to a certain generation, it will always be known as the basis of one of, if the best, licensed video games ever. But what do you guys think? Would you have liked to have seen Dalton in a gritty tech thriller, or even possibly an origin story? Either way, sound off below and let us know if there are any other movies that haven't been made that you'd like to hear the story of. Thank you for watching our show. If you like what you see, please subscribe to the Joe Blow Videos channel, tell your friends who like this sort of content, and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all of our latest videos. We're an independent company and we appreciate all of your support. Yeah.